This is Ramsey Radio, the farming and farm machinery podcast from Ramsey Brothers, partnering farmers since 1950. Hello and welcome to another edition of Ramsey Radio. Been a while since we've been with you and we sincerely hope that you're all well. I'm your host, Tim Glover, and I'm joined once again today by our good mate and rural legal expert, Joe Anderson. Joe, welcome back, mate. We, uh, we haven't seen or heard from you for a while, so how have you been? Yeah, no, I've been going really well, um, as well as uh, hopefully all the farmers out there uh, are going with their with their beautiful crops this time of year. It, it is looking pretty good, mate. I've um, just obviously done the EP field days of recent uh, times and uh, travelled around a bit more of the state, and it's certainly uh, looking as good as I've seen it for a long time. Mate, you're always a favourite on the show, and uh, as I said, great to have you back. We've done a number of great episodes for farm business owners about succession planning, uh, handling deceased estate management, which was um, it was a real hit with our uh, our listeners. But today we're going to land squarely in the middle of uh, those two, and I think uh, we'll have a chat about superannuation matters. Obviously, something that's uh, important, and I think sometimes it probably doesn't get the attention it deserves. Yeah, that's right. I, I, super is has has probably been something that's become more and more important as the years have gone on, and it certainly is is a place where a lot of people's wealth is these days. Uh, and increasingly so in the years to come. So it's something that people are starting to become a bit more aware of, of needing to know exactly what it what it is and what it can do. Um, and it's it's something that I push pretty hard. And there's also a lot of technical information about super that I think is important for people to have a, a general knowledge of. Um, obviously, you can get advice about some of the real technicalities, but it's it's a good idea for people to know some of the rules in relation to super. So that's what I'm hoping to cover today. It is one of those topics that probably sits on the on the edge of of legal and financial advice. So I need to be careful that I'm not giving anyone any financial advice. Uh, and I certainly you know recommend to your listeners that before they do anything with super, they uh, they contact their financial planner or, or get in touch with a financial planner in relation to the the dollars and cents side of the super. Um, but I, what I hope to do today is just outline some of the, the legal rules in relation to super. With that in mind, let's get into it. Um, first up, we usually think about super as a retirement savings, but there is much more to it, isn't there? Yeah, there certainly can be. I mean, obviously, the, the, the original basis for the superannuation system was compulsory super to, to effectively make sure that people didn't end up on the pension. So it's it's been around you know, for, for long enough now that, that, that there's a lot of wealth tied up in that. And a lot of people would have been subject to that system for a lot of their working life now. Um, but since since those early days, it's, it's, it's expanded into more of an investment. It, well, it can be more of an investment vehicle as part of an overall strategy for your financial circumstances. So that probably really exploded in the 2000s with, with the use of self-managed super funds and, and using super funds as, as, as an investment vehicle. The government did make some changes a couple of years ago, which to, to wind that back a little bit. So it's probably it's probably sitting somewhere in between, you know, that, that rural investment type strategy to that that sort of more boring um, compulsory super it's probably sitting somewhere in between which I in my view that's that's probably where it should be should be sitting ultimately it's really a pool of money that can support you in retirement generally by way of income stream so when people talk about a pension they think of the pension from the government but it's effectively exactly the same you get paid a pension from your super fund whether that's your own self-managed fund or or a fund that's that's operated by an external party. There's basically three types of funds. There's ones you would have seen a lot of the ads, which are done through the um, 
the union, so their, their industry funds, so that's like the C buses of the host plus and those types of funds. Then there's what's called retail funds, which are operated by companies like AMP and those types of companies like that. And then there's the self-managed super fund, which I explained before, which is is a, a structure that you can be you can, that the members themselves can manage. And I, I guess where I see that being an important part of the estate and succession planning for for primary producers and others and small business people is that you can actually utilise your superannuation to to benefit your business, um, mainly by um, owning real estate, so business real estate that you can then rent uh, back to yourself effectively. So you're sort of killing two birds with one stone. You're um, you're building up your own super by paying rent to your super fund um, and you can use your super to, to purchase um, business premises, whether that's farmland or or other other types of premises. So yeah, it's a really important part of the puzzle. And I guess one of the pitfalls, if we call it that, it's an easy thing as a business owner not to pay yourself super and just keep putting the money back into growing the business, buying more land, machinery and so on, then use the business as your retirement fund. But run us through why, why sorry, super um, is, is probably critical in, in some of those questions and decision-making processes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I guess, it's easy enough when you're an employee and, you, and you're subject to the compulsory super rules. But as a, as a small business owner, you, you've got the choice to pay yourself super or not. And as you said, that is the attitude of a lot of small business owners that they're saying that their business and their business assets is their super, which is, I guess, if fine in a perfect world, if, if ultimately you end up selling the business and then cashing in and then you've got all that money that you can then use. But the two the two biggest issues with that strategy is is one, all of that wealth isn't in a um, favourable tax environment. There has been some changes to super tax laws, but it's still a very, very favourable tax environment for investment. So if your money isn't in super and you stop working, you're not able to get your money into super once you stop working. So you really want to be building up super over time in, your, in a tax favourable environment with a view to hopefully having a tax-free income when it comes time to retiring. So that that's probably the first issue I see with people using their small businesses, their super fund. The second part is when it comes to uh, succession planning is because if you have your business and your business assets as your super, if you then need to hand those assets over to the next generation for them to continue to operate, it then becomes a real challenge for, for both the, the younger and the older generation to manage the flow of money from the business back to mum and dad. And then mum and dad are relying on the on the, the next generation operating the business correctly or or the, you know they're being subject to favorable conditions so they can you know pay them a pension effectively. So it's a much better strategy, in my view, to, to decouple um, your super from your small business. So then when it gets time to retiring, you've got a pool of money there separate from your business that means that you're looked after, even if you're passing control of the business assets to the next generation. So it does provide a really good tool to help mum and dad get off, off away from the small business. And then it's also a pool of money that, that can be given to the non-farming children. So it really is a is a critical part of your, your overall um, wealth strategy. And it's, it's really hard to have that discipline to put the money away each year. But you do get significant tax savings by doing that as well along the way. And yeah, ultimately, it's going to make your life a hell of a lot easier when it comes time to, to retiring for a number of reasons. Another one, Joe, that... Um interest me. Uh, investing in super can bring other benefits. Um, and I guess specifically I'm referring to uh, benefits around life insurance and things like that. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a really good good part of the super system is that a lot of even the your your the retail funds or your industry funds that you pay your compulsory super into, or even um, government funds. So a lot of a lot of our listeners would, or some of our listeners, no doubt, work for the government and are paid a government pension, a government having a government super fund. Um, they mostly all have uh, life insurance policies within them. So, and they they can be customised. So I think a lot of people just assume they're sort of a default uh, a default product, and it just sits there as long you know as well as everything else. So. Super funds do actually allow you a lot of customization. So even if it's not a self-managed fund, so you can you can actually customize the types of investments that you want the super fund to invest in. So whether it's a high risk or a low risk or certain types of investments, if you log into your super fund you know, member page, it does enable you to then customize how you want your, your money invested. So that's something to speak to your financial planner about. But the second part is that of that is that you can actually increase or decrease your life insurance within the super fund. And I guess the benefit of that is, is that you don't actually have to come up with paying the premiums for the life insurance. Those premiums can be paid out of your super. And obviously, in the worst case scenario, uh, and you did die during your working life, um, that life insurance would pay out and gets added to your super fund balance, which can then be paid to your spouse um, or your children. So that is a real benefit through the super system. And I'd, I'd certainly encourage our listeners to speak to their financial planner about customising their life insurance within the super super world. And I guess it's no different to the uh, to the rhetoric we hear all the time, you know, go and check your home loan and that sort of thing. It's a really critical thing and it's a really good point that you do raise. On the other hand, Joe, people say that recent changes to super rules mean it's not as good as it used to be. Um, your opinion? Yeah, look, that's certainly the case. And I, I must say from a philosophical perspective, I kind of agree with what is what the change has been because, as I sort of mentioned earlier in our, our conversation, super really became something more than super. It was really a, a vehicle for investing, which was going far, far beyond the amount of money someone would ever need to retire. So it sort of became something that it wasn't ever intended to be. So I, I actually supported the government winding that back, um, which basically means now that you've got you can you can save up to one point seven million dollars in your super fund, and all of that would be tax free when it comes time to retiring when you start paying yourself a, a pension or when you withdraw that from super in a lump sum. So you know if you're a, if you if you're a couple, you can have one point seven million dollars each. Three and a half, you know, nearly three and a half million dollars. I would think for most people that should be enough money to retire on pretty comfortably. I would oh, hope. Joe, I don't know. We know a couple of blokes that might struggle on that, but uh, <laughs> they're they're in a minority. But uh, look, for, for most normal, ordinary people, that should be that should be plenty. So I, I think it's a good number. It's a good number, and as I say, it doesn't actually stop you from going over that amount. It just means that that, that that anything over that amount, you, you, you're subject to the normal taxation rules within super, which actually is still uh, more generous than than your ordinary personal income tax rates anyway. So it's not completely bad in any event, but it certainly means that you know you've got 1.7, which can can eventually be a tax-free lump sum or a tax-free pension when it comes time to retiring. So. It isn't quite as generous as as it perhaps was before, but I think that you know for the average person, you're unlikely to exceed the 1.7 million anyway. I suppose where it affects primary producers 
probably disproportionately to the rest of the population is that a lot of financial planners and lawyers and others have, have encouraged farmers to buy farmland within their self-managed super funds. And I certainly see that as a really good strategy, making up a part of an overall wealth strategy. But I guess with the explosion in farmland values over the last few years, that's actually almost created a bit of an issue because it doesn't take a lot to get $1.7 million worth of farmland. And probably the only other the, the only other issue with, with land in super is that because land is, is not a liquid asset, you eventually, once you retire, you have to pay yourself a minimum amount of pension. And so suddenly if you've got $10 million worth of farmland in the super fund, that minimum percentage of your pension ends up being a very, very big number. And then you obviously need the cash to then pay those pension. So it's it's probably mean the change with the changes that have been made. It probably means that you know there might need to be a rethink of some of those strategies where where people have heavily used their self managed funds um, for for purchasing farmland. So again, it's probably it's a conversation that that the listeners should be having with their financial planner and accountant. Absolutely, and um, Joe, we're going to uh, do what we do, mate. We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, I like to get into the other aspect of superannuation, and that's what happens when you decide to retire. So if you're ready to learn about accessing your super savings and enjoying a comfortable retirement, don't go anywhere. Are you planning a new machinery purchase in the next 24 months? Given current shortages, the advice from Ramsey Brothers is to start the process now. We know your machinery program is vital to the efficiency and productivity of your farm, and making us part of your plan is a smart move. Our market knowledge will help you manage potential delays. So start the conversation with your Ramsey Brothers sales team today because in challenging times, our experience is your advantage. Ramsey Brothers, partnering farmers since 1950. Welcome back to Ramsey Radio. We're talking to our good mate Joe Anderson from AgriLegal SA about the how and why of superannuation for farm owners. Joe, we've talked about a lot, but... Once you're ready to hand the farm on and retire, how easy is it to access your super? Yeah, it depends. It depends on your age. For a lot of the listeners, once they turn 65, even if they are continuing to work, they can access their super, which is pretty beneficial, really. So you can effectively turn 65, keep working or helping, you know, helping the son or daughter or whoever out with the farm and start receiving your tax-free income from your super fund, as well as, you know, any other income that you've got as, as part of your working. So 65 is, is the magic number for many. As uh, people get older, the retirement age is going to be increased. So it used to be 55. If you were born before July 1960, you could turn 55 and give up work. So you, you also had to give up work um, and you could start accessing your super. For anyone born after 1964, um, you have to reach the age of 60 before you can access your super, even if you completely stop working. You can retire at 60 now um, and stop working and start accessing your super. Or in any event, once you get to 65, you can access your super even if you continue to work. So there's that sort of five years. And then there's some strategies that you can speak to your financial planner about about um, transition to retirement. So there's a bit of a hybrid there where you can start to access some of the benefits between that period of winding down to retirement. So yeah, it becomes a very important piece. And, and if you've invested well and there's there's a good good amount of money there, you can actually draw a fair bit of money as, as a tax-free income. There's sort of two ways you can take it. You can take it as a pension, as I mentioned before. Um, and there's lots of different strategies that you can you can do. You can um, you know, pay yourself a monthly wage effectively. You can take, um, you know, a payment once a year. It's really up to you how you want to do it. 
but you can also take out lump sums. So, for instance, if you if you got to sixty five uh, and you had you know hundred grand or fifty grand left on your home loan that you, you know you hadn't got around to sort of paying off, you could take that money out of your super fund and pay that off as well as a lump sum. So. There's lump sums that you can take out. There's also income streams that you can take out of your super fund. Yeah, and as I say, it becomes it becomes a, a, a critical part. And there's and there's quite often your super fund balance and, and your other assets aren't significant. You may well be able to access the access the government pension and then supplement with the pension that you draw from a super fund. So that the two things can work together to some extent as well. So what happens to your super when you do die? Is it just rolled up in your will like your other assets? Yeah, it's a really good question, Tim, and it, this is probably where that that technical information comes into play. It's it's a really complicated environment um, when it comes to your super upon your death. I don't know why they've made it as complicated as they have, but they they have. And I've if you if you Google um, it's my name, Joe Anderson, and super and Bentleys, you might you you'll find a. Uh, a YouTube video of me pre- presenting a, uh, a seminar on on this topic, and it is really really complex. It's a bit of a wormhole. Um, so, any of the listeners wanted to wanted to get a bit more information, they can they can do that. But effectively, a super fund is a trust. So, and many of our listeners will have trusts. So, a super fund is a trust, just like like other trusts. And effectively, there's a trustee that looks after the money or the assets on behalf of the members. The trustee is the legal owner of the assets. It's responsible for investing them. So that's whether that's a, an industry fund or a, or a self-managed fund. So an industry fund has a has an entity, has a company that would be doing the investing on behalf of you know millions of members, hundreds of thousands of members. And a self-managed fund obviously is, is a smaller version of that just for the members of the self-managed fund. When you die, the super law says that the trustee has the discretion to determine who gets your super. I think a lot of people wouldn't understand that that is the case and is, is a fairly surprising outcome, really, that some sort of random third party can decide who actually gets your super. In reality, the super fund trustee will almost always pay super to a spouse if there's a spouse. If there's not a spouse, they'll almost always pay it to children equally. Um, and if there's not a spouse or children, it has to get paid to the estate. So there's really only there's four options for the for the super fund trustee to, to pay it to. One is to, is to the spouse. One is to children. One is to your estate. Um, so then it does form part of your will and gets you know joint, jointly pulled in with your other assets. And then the fourth one is is paying it to those who are financially dependent on the person, um, which is a much a smaller category if it's not a spouse or children. It, those relationships do exist in some circumstances, but it's a fairly small um, subset. So the super fund trustee is a little bit limited on who to pay it to, as from what I said before. But in circumstances where you might be in a second marriage and you don't want your super to go to your new spouse, you'd rather your super to go to your children, that can be problematic because the super fund trustee will pay it to that spouse. And um, unfortunately, not all spouses are, uh, are necessarily that friendly with the children from the previous marriage. Uh, and we see a lot of circumstances where super doesn't end up where people want it to. Yeah, and conversely, you might say you've given, you know, some of the farm worth millions of dollars, uh, but you, you want your super to go to your daughter. If you don't have it structured correctly, the super fund trustee might actually pay some of it to your son. Uh, and again, unfortunately, some people aren't that nice and, and might keep it. And I've seen that happen in real time. So it, super has to be managed really carefully when it comes to your estate planning. Now, 
The way to do that is to have in place what's called a binding nomination. And a binding nomination forces the super fund trustee to do what you want. For self-managed funds, that's relatively easy to do. Um, and they're, they're, they're what's called non, you can have non-lapsing binding nominations, which means that they go on forever. So that example that I gave before about the second spouse, you can say, well, no, I'll put a binding nomination in place to my children sort of to make sure that they can receive it. For industry and, and retail funds, quite a lot of those binding nominations lapse every three years. So you need to be pretty careful about making sure you keep them up to date. Super funds are much better than they used to be. They used to didn't even remind you that it was coming up to being expired. These days, most of the super funds are pretty good and they will tell you that your binding nomination is going to expire So, and they invite you to do it again. So I really encourage the listeners to, to think carefully about where they want their super to end up and to make sure that they're having those discussions with their financial planner about in, ensuring they've got a binding nomination in place if, if they want it to end up in a particular place. As I said before, the kind of default position will be that it'll go to your spouse and then it'll go equally to your kids. So if that's what you want anyway, it's not quite as important, but I'd certainly encourage our listeners to, to think carefully about where they want their super to end up because it's not straightforward. Really good, uh, you know. Obviously, as we um, as we get towards the end of the episode, I think for the um, for the listeners out there that have have got their head around super as much as they um, they know what fund they've got, they're contributing to a fund, retail fund or, or something they've set up themselves. I think that last section there is something to make sure that you get a head around because it is, as Joe said, one of those, um, probably one of the most critical parts of it and, and, and potentially one of the trickiest parts if you haven't got your head around it and um, worked out exactly uh, what you want. So um, some really, really good advice. Um, Joe, thanks again for coming on. You share your legal knowledge, mate, which we um, which we appreciate this time around super and how farming families can make the most of it. But before you go, I know there's a lot more legal and financial rabbit holes people could go down in this area. So where should uh, our listeners go for more detailed and personalised advice? You know, as I've mentioned a couple of times, financial advisors are key in this area. There's been a lot of regulation changes about super and who can provide advice. So it used to traditionally sort of fall with accountants, but the regulations now require accountants and financial planners to be very separate when it comes to super. Certainly speak to, to your accountants because they might have someone to recommend on the financial planning arm. But quite often now, accountants can't actually provide advice about your super, which may be frustrating for a lot of our listeners to say, well, now I've got to pay for a, you know, like an accountant, a lawyer and a financial advisor. But as I've hopefully made clear, it's, it's such an important asset that I think that's that's money well spent. And they can, as I say, they can they can give you not only uh, investment advice about where, the, where it should be invested, but also advice about your life insurance, disability insurance, and those types of things that it can also be part of your, your super um, strategies. Joe, great advice as always. Mate, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. And uh, we'll have to get our heads together and work out uh, what our next topic's going to be. But uh, I'd love to certainly have you back, mate. So appreciate you coming on and we'll catch up with you at a uh, Adelaide Hills footy oval soon. Thanks, Tim. Always a pleasure. And if you found today's talk useful, be sure to check out our other episodes with Joe, specifically about succession planning and managing a deceased estate. In fact, you can find all of our back episodes on your favourite podcast app, and there are more on the way. So be sure to like and subscribe. Meanwhile, from me, Tim Glover, and Joe Anderson from Agri Legal SA, thanks again for joining us on Ramsey Radio.
been listening to Ramsey Radio, brought to you by Ramsey Brothers. Find this and all our podcasts on your preferred podcast app or on our website at ramseybros.com.au. Thank you.